Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. I'm Jack Dimonazes and today I'm joined by the independent chief sports writer Jonathan Liu. Johnny, welcome to Japan, or shall I say welcome to Disneyland. <laughs> yes, yes, it's uh, fancy meeting you here. It is, as I say, around these parts, a small world. Well, we're at the England press conference and they are based this week in, of all places, Disneyland. And despite what uh, may have been said in the public, they chose to be here. They took themselves out of the, the hub of Tokyo Central and... It was a surprise because that's where they were earlier in the tournament. But now we've got Mickey Mouse, we've got da- Daffy Duck, we've got all the lads around us. Um, who, who's your favourite Disney character from uh, from memory? Probably Jafar. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I suppose you know, there's, there's lots of. Um, I mean, is Disney still okay? Didn't Disney get cancelled? Like you know morally speaking several several decades ago because of all the like the horrible racist stuff they did and it wasn't Walt Disney an anti-Semite uh, I think Walt Disney was a massive anti-Semite I, 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 run that by the lawyers yeah I, I think that one's going to be hard to get by um, but do, surely you just change the name relaunch it reboot like, that's what seems to be happening now I mean Mike Oregon Project you can do that can't you oh yeah yeah they've um, you know, the, 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 it's incredible the um you know, just like like it's like separate stepping into a separate world when you you know you, you, you kind of get off the get on the the train from from Tokyo Central and and it, it's full of and then you get on the there's a special Disney train which takes you from the the main train station to the to the resort and it's just the like the, the handles that you hold on to are like Mickey Mouse ears and everybody's wearing Mickey Mouse ears and the kids are all sort of bedecked in you know, they're, they're dressed in costume it's like a you know a sort of cosplay convention but you know entirely innocent of course and, and um and yeah, but you also get like the, the, the japanese businessmen because because all the business you know all the fancy hotels are around here as well so this is a really sort of um eclectic mix of kids with, with mickey mouse ears and like like middle-aged businessmen in incredibly expensive suits we're in one of the, the cafes in the resort and it is just everything's happy and positive isn't it you're not allowed negative thoughts here no, and, and that's especially true you know, in the England camp, I guess. You know, whether uh, you know, they're coming up against, I suppose, one of the, the best-loved sporting teams in the world. And, and to beat them would be like killing Bambi. Uh, you know, is, is, it, is, it a, a realistic, you know, is it a realistic goal you know, that they have this weekend? Or is, is, it, is, it just, uh, is it fantasy? Well, there was certainly no negative thoughts in Eddie's approach yesterday. Eddie Jones came out went on the attack in the press conference he sort of accused the All Blacks of spying luckily John Mitchell came out after that and struck, hammered down and did say you know if, if that's what they're doing they're fair game to them but they're not going to learn anything but they're having their training watch he took a swipe at the media he's saying all oh, the pressure is on the All Blacks I mean it was textbook Eddie Jones wasn't it yeah I mean and not, not just you know not just textbook Eddie Jones but literally page one of the Eddie Jones textbook if in doubt, or you know, he's not really, he's really in doubt, but you know, page one, 
be aggressive, be abrasive, create conflict. I mean, the Mourinho comparisons have been done to death, but it's it's very much, you know, who can I, who's the enemy? Who can I fight against? You see the, the same kind of thing in, uh, like, third world tin pot dictatorships, like, un, under authoritarian regimes. You know, you, you go to, you know, Iran or, or, or Uganda or somewhere. What's the first thing that the tin pot dictator does when he's, he's trying to, to, you know, build national unity you accuse somebody of spying you accuse somebody of being a foreign spy uh, this, this whole idea of foreign espionage is a really powerful unifying um, fear I guess it's, it's, it's touching on one of the, the fundamental human fears that, that you're being spied on somebody's watching somebody who, who wishes you ill is watching what you do when you're in your most private moments and um, that's something that you know that, that's something that he evokes really quite unsubtly that might be a separate podcast in itself that, that one yeah the, the rugby union and politics <laughs> geopolitics podcast he'd probably make a good politician though I mean what, how would you see his role in uh, Brexit well I, I suppose that the people that the people that spend more time with whether Eddie Jones than I do say that he's there's almost kind of a there's a public face you know he's incredibly sensitive guy apparently very generous as well uh loyal to his friends and what you see in public is i guess almost a caricature that's that's the sort of the strong man um persona that is again so beloved of politicians all around the world i suppose if he was trying to force through uh you know a withdrawal agreement through parliament he would probably evoke this idea of you know eu bureaucrats um, you know, spying on on our cabinet meetings, or, or trying to derail us, and all the pressure, all the pressure is on the EU here. The, the, the EU <laughs> pressure is chasing, pressure is chasing Yonkord Junker down the streets. Uh, and let's just let let's get it done. And well, I, I think for me, one of the, the big messages uh, that he sent in the press conference was not to the media, not to the All Blacks, but to his own team, because it's the only reason that can there can be for him bringing Owen Farrell in there. Now, Farrell doesn't do any media apart from match days and team announcements. So why is he up on a Tuesday? Which well, because Eddie can then perform this little stunt of everyone put your hands up if you think England can win this game. And before those in the room have even had time to take it in and go, oh, he's actually wanting us to interact, he's straight down the throats. You know, none of you think we can win. It, there's the siege mentality. It, it was a real message to Farrell to take back to the squad. You know, no one thinks we can do this, boys. Let's go and prove them wrong. Um, you, you wrote a piece after the quarterfinal win over Australia on Owen Farrell, and you, you've seen England captains across various different sports. How, how do you assess him as one, a player, and two, a leader? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I remember writing something on, on Chris Robshaw about this would have been about four or five years ago now, and Robshaw was a very different sort of leader, and I think Farrell is much more in, in what we like to think of as what, what the English like to think of as their sort of leader. Like aggressive, very loquacious. You know, you, you think um, Henry V or, or, or Elizabeth I or Churchill. People, you know, the English like their leaders to, to be great orators. They like them to be stirring patriots. They, they like their leaders to, to go, you know, screw the other guys. We are English and we'll, we'll do what the hell we want. Uh, I think Barrel's much more in that mode than, than Robshaw was, you know. Uh, and 
and that's what makes him, I think, such a such a good fit for, for this particular regime and this particular team, and, and possibly even this particular moment. He, he's again, he's, he's he's abrasive. He doesn't he doesn't really mind getting in people's faces. He's very beat the red rose, isn't he? You'd see him kissing it if he was in football or just beating it on the pitch. He's that type of character. Yeah, I mean, you saw him on the uh, like after the Australia game, and he, he gets them all in a huddle um, on on the pitch, and he's you know, it's like he's. Um, it reminded me of Michael Vaughan after after the, the drawn Test match in, at Old Trafford in the 2005 matches, where he gathers them round and they're like, "Look at the Aussie! Look at the Aussie! They're celebrating a draw. This is this is you know the moment that, that we know we're going to win the Ashes." And and Farrell was was very much like that. He, he, he definitely fancies himself. I mean, once he retires, he's got you know he'll go into the motivational speaking gigs and he'll be sort of getting up on stage. How how, how can you unlock the potential in your business? and get the best out of your employees. He's very, um, yeah, he's a talker. <laughs> and is he, is he under a bit more pressure than we kind of see? Because he doesn't captain his club side. He's not the Saracens captain, that's Brad Barrett. He is still quite young, you know. I, I still hope that I'm considered young, and he's, he's a year younger than me. And I often forget that because he, he How does, old are you? Um, we'll, we'll leave that off this pod. We, we won't mention that. I felt sure if you Google Owen Farrell's age, you can work out how old I am from that. But we'll do an Eddie Jones. Like, how, how old? How old do you think I am? Oh, thirty. Yeah, thirty. 30, 30. <laughs> yeah, most people think I'm about thirty. Yeah. I mean, he's he's twenty-seven. He's an England captain. That's, that's still relatively young for a captain to be going into a World Cup. And he only took the captaincy fifteen months ago. You know, we forget that Dylan Hartley led this team, and Dylan Hartley's not here. So he's he's going through probably the biggest test of you know maybe his life. It's certainly his career, but maybe even his life. Yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly. I mean, what's what's clear is that Jones has gone all in on this guy. Um, whether it's dropping forward to, a, to to move to shift him back to ten for the Australia game, giving him the captaincy, you know, giving him a, a leadership role even before he was captain, uh, he has he has this he has this incredible weight on his shoulders. Um, I think I think Jones relies on him to be like to be his eyes and ears and, and to be almost like the warrior to, to embody the warrior mentality that he wants from his side. Um, he is still young, but you know he's, he's I think been earmarked for this sort of role in the team quite quite early on in his career. You know, going back to junior levels. Uh, I mean, when when he made his debut, uh, Lancaster said to him, "I want you to be as vocal." In, this, in the dressing room as you are at the Saracens I, I want you to be you know a leader in the dressing room even though you haven't played a game yet I want you to if, if, if somebody's you know not pulling their weight I want you to call them out if you see something that, that, that's not right I want you to put it I want you to put it right and and I think that shows I think how how much faith coaches have in what you might call natural leadership ability which have been evident from a very young age I'd say something that's quite interesting about that that struck me is Owen Farrell's first year in rugby union uh, he was playing for Harpenden and I was playing against him so I've known him for a lot longer than kind of meets the eye with other journalists really? yeah well, I was playing for Flairings in a very short term uh, rugby and, career and that ended at, at university look at you now both, yeah. both at the top of your respective professions but he wasn't too happy to see me the first time I was at a press conference I can tell you that <laughs> um, so you know he, he was a, a kid year younger he was playing at our age, age group, which doesn't happen at Rugby Union because it's so age-grade determined. Right. Was he big? He was, and I think that's why they, they, they saw that 
he could hold his own at an older age, but it also helped with the Saracens development. They wanted to get him to Saracens as quickly as possible. Right. So let's get him up, playing up and a, a year, year higher. So we all thought, right, here's this young upstart. He's Andy Farrell's son. Andy Farrell's just joined Rugby Union, so we all know about him. And his rugby league career goes before him, you know, real great at the game. So he had a target on his back? Yeah, definitely. And we, we pinpointed him first tackle. We don't care if it's late, if it's high, if it's dodgy, you know. Real underhand tactics, let's send out a statement. And he just brushed off our best tackler and you think, oh, Jesus, he is actually pretty good. But watching it every game is Andy Farrell on the sideline. Mm. You know, for him, that's his dad. For us, that's the greatest British rugby league player arguably ever. Yeah. And, you know, that, that brings a certain deal of pressure and he's only 15, 16 at this time. Um, it's almost like it's prepared him for this moment to be under what is huge pressure in the World Cup. And I think that's, that's quite a big statement that he came through in flying colours in Australia when he was under the most criticism. He was playing badly. He'd been hit in the head twice and hadn't even had an HIA. And we're going, you know, Eddie, you're star man, you're, you're captain. Why is he not playing well? Is he gone in the head? Is he concussed? You know, you haven't even analysed him. And then he delivers his best performance probably in the last year for England, I'd say. Yeah, he had a great game against Ireland in the Six Nations, but he really ran the show against Australia and there was a lot of pressure on him at moving to 10. George Ford dropped and he was dropped. He wasn't rotated. His role changed, as Eddie told us, and come join modern rugby, guys. You know, every player is disappointed if they're not starting 15. There was a lot of pressure on Farrell and I think he, he's, he came through that test and I think that will do him a big favour this weekend. It might just reduce the pressure of the All Blacks. Oh, I have a similar story, actually. I once played cricket against Mike Gatting's son. How'd that go? Uh, I, was like a, I was about 11, and uh, when you're... I was playing in the Middlesex Leagues, and at the end of every season, they have, they have trials. They split the, the county up into four areas. I was playing for South Area. I think he was playing for North. and uh, No, East. And like, this rumour goes around. Mike Gatting Mike Gatting's son is in the opposition time. and then you see Mike Gatting it's a, if you don't know who Mike Gatting is a former England captain and uh, he, was, he was eating a sandwich which was incredibly on brand Mike Gatting uh, and oh god this, this guy's going to be incredible um, we got him out for a two ball duck <laughs> so it went the other way it yeah, cracked it went, under the pressure yeah anyway so we're back on um, you, uh, the, the, the first that first kick that Farrell took I think it was it was over by the left touch line yeah. it was a it was a sort of kick that he's been missing all tournament and and he, he nailed it and whether whether it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy or whether whether he, he actually had his game face on and and kicked that out of sheer will that seemed to be what what drove him on and I don't think he missed a kick all no game. 100% record that, that, that's quite interesting maybe that's a little shift in his mentality that he, we've never associated him with a confidence player he is mm-hmm. probably one of those 7 out of 10s every time type of player maybe, maybe it's a switch though I mean I think the whole the whole obviously he's, he's got multiple roles in the side as we discussed but especially when you get to a World Cup ultimately the place getting such a huge part of it in terms of your confidence your uh, I guess, I guess your, your basic value to the side that, that, that's what can be that's what can be physically measured that's what your you know, you're going to contribute in terms of points, and if, if that if that part of your game is off, I think it has a knock-on effect on every single other part of his game. And I think the reason he had such a good game was because he was he was kicking well from the tee, he was contributing points, and everything else flowed from there. 
and we're going to talk about the All Blacks in the second half of the pod, but we'll, we'll wrap up the first half with another subject that you've written about this week, uh, Yako Piper, the referee who... Is it Piper? It is Piper. Not Piper? Not Piper, Yako Piper. Even though it's EY, it's Piper. Oh, yes. A nice little South African twang on it. You probably know that because I've written about him. <laughs> so, of course, he managed to make himself a uh, centre of attention this week by posing with Wales fans, performing an elbow that he sent Sebastian Vaha, Mi- Vaha Mahina. I think I've got that right. Vaha Mahina. Off. It's like a really bad Scrabble rack, that. Vaha Mahina. There's just too many vowels too many in there, A's. isn't there? Yeah. Um, so, of course, he... He got sent off for elbowing Aaron Wainwright in Wales' victory over France. It changed, of course, the game. I think we were both in agreement France were going to win that game if they had 15 players on the pitch. I mean, they were France, but still. Just about. Just about. Just about. I mean, Wales were awful. They were absolutely awful. And no one questioned Piper about that decision. It was a stone wall red card. I mean, the fallout is Vaha Mahina has retired from international rugby at the age of 28. I mean, hopefully he reverses that decision. Because it's a mistake, you know, he's... he's I think he was planning to. He said it, he said it wasn't related to the elbow. But I, I, I mean, I mean you just, 28's a very early age to do that. And you, you just hope mentally that hasn't had a bearing on his decision. So, yeah. You know, it, but anyway, we're digressing from Piper. So he also had that iffy call at the end. Was it forward? Was it not forward for Wales' match-winning try? But on the whole, you, you can't really criticise the performance. However, he then has that photo and... It just invites criticism, and the French are furious. It, I bumped into Dimitri Yashvili in the airport on the way back to Tokyo. He said, it, "It's just crazy, absolutely crazy. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for Wales. It doesn't look good for rugby union." Now you've got this idea about the culture of celebrity refs and the way they need to be seen, and this is not just rugby refs. But what, what's your opinion on that and the subject within sport on that? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the first thing to say is, is it's a terrible shame. Because, like you said, he, he did get he got all the big calls right in that game. He would have been at least in the frame to to do that England All Black semi final, um, and it wasn't a huge it wasn't a huge error. It wasn't a massive like nobody has nobody's lost out. No harm has been done as a result of this, except to his own to, except to himself. And, and you can easily see how something like that has happened. He walks through, it, it looks like a hotel lobby maybe. Or, or I, think, I think it's always a train station. Or, or a so train station. It's where Wales fans were celebrating. Right, and there are maybe, like, there are hundreds of fans in there and they all want a selfie. Yakko, yakko, selfie, selfie. Yakko, yakko, can we have a camera picture? I'll do the L. And you know, he wants to get away. He's thinking, he's off duty. He's left the ground. He's, you know, he's, he's changed out of his kit. and Probably looking for some dinner. He's probably looking for some dinner. Yeah, and he's thinking, uh, all right, I'll get, get, get his fans out of the way. And he's, he's, not, he's not thinking that he's Yakko Piper, the international referee. He's Yakko Piper, the train commuter who's looking for some dinner. And it's in the gulf between those two roles, I think, that he's kind of slipped between the cracks. And, because whereas he probably thinks he's off duty, he's not off duty. And the way that referees have evolved, not just in rugby, uh, but in a lot of other sports, is that they've gone from being, I suppose, arbiters to performers. Referees talk about their performance. Uh, you know, you see with someone like, like um, Nigel Owens, or 
you know, Alan Roland's got this motivational speaking business, right? They are, they are personalities in their own right now, for better or worse. They are a fundamental part of the game. And when you attach that role to someone, you, don't, you can't really turn off being a performer when you, go, when, when you leave the ground and go to a training station. You're always on. Every life is a, is, is a performance. And so that's probably where he's fallen, fallen through the cracks there because he thinks he's off duty. But when you're a personality, when you're a big... And, and players and coaches know this intrinsically. Celebrities know this intrinsically. You're, you're always yakked by the international referee, whether, whether you know, you're uh, walking through a train station or, or, or whatever. People see you as, 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 as the international referee. and You can never be off guard. You're never off guard. And he probably didn't quite realise that. And I think he realises that now, and I think he'll regret that for a long, long time. I think the, the kind of comparison that I had in my head, trying to look at uh, Mike Dean, who has almost become self-aware. We saw that... The football referee. Yeah, yeah. we saw that when he was just there as Mike Dean, the fan. Uh, I, I can't remember what game it was, but the video of him went viral celebrating where he's almost on the point of crowd surfing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's supports some lower league team, right? Yeah, possibly Tramley. I, I, have, right. I have that yeah, in my yeah, head. Yeah, I think. yeah, I think so. And you, you just think, surely he knows the cameras are on him at that point. He, he's not Mike Dean, the football fan. He's Mike Dean, the referee. And obviously his performances on the, the pitch, they're well documented, the kind of viral videos of him just being Mike Dean, really. Kind of a, yeah. a, a strange human being as a referee. Uh, do, you, do you think that crosses over? Do you think that he's the polar opposite that he he always knows he's being watched and because of that plays up I, the, the one I would say always knows who's being watched is Mark Clattenburg who I, I think you know he, he doesn't, doesn't referee in, in the Premier League anymore but the Middle East's finest yes yeah. if you if you if you see Clattenburg refereeing a game or, in, or indeed anywhere he knows that he's always being watched he's in many ways he's like the epitome of the modern referee there's a sort of there's a grandeur there's a grandiosity and a flourish to his gestures that makes it very clear that there are 28 cameras in the ground and, and, and he knows that that he's been watched and that I think is the modern way like we're in a we're in a hotel cafe here in and there are about 20 25 people here we're, we're in a public place but we don't we don't we don't register any of those other people. We don't register any of those potential gazes. Whereas if, when you're in the public eye, I think you are kind of aware that that person could have a camera phone, that person could be watching it, that person is probably craning their like, oh, is that something else? Is that, is that, but look, there's Steve, Steve Hawthorne Steve sitting over there. And I, I think that's something that comes with being in the public eye. And, but, it, but it only comes gradually. Uh, you, you talk to anybody who's in the public eye and they say, takes a while to make that transition to realise that people you don't know people you've never seen before in your life are looking at you and that's a weird thing to get your head around yeah it's actually quite interesting because no one is paying attention to us and we're, we're the loudest people in this cafe right now yeah but... and, and, and certainly the most famous <laughs> well I don't know about you but Hardly my we've... reputation goes before me so. we've got uh, yeah so David Flatman over there that's flats off the um that is that is, that is yep. we've got paul hayward the chief sports writer of the telegraph and mick cleary basically if a, if a if a bomb were to fall on this hotel cafe like the world of rugby would be would be decimated i, I remember taking a i was on a, i was covering a cricket tour in india a couple of years ago and 
one of the internal flights was like a charter flight and we were on the same flight all the journalists as the India team and the England team and I remember thinking if this plane goes down how far down the list of like the Indian cricket team was, was, was wiped out in a, in a plane crash the That's Indian the cricket team was wiped out in a plane crash also Jonathan Liu cricket writer and probably probably not even one of the like the top ten most famous journalists either. How, um, how do you write that piece? Cricket te- Indian cricket team in the headline, England in the subhead. Yeah, or maybe like the England, Indian England like, tri- tributes poured forth last night Are you, to, you to maybe... Virat Kohli, Joe Root, Ben Stokes, <laughs> Owen Morgan, Jinkya Rahane. Uh, also, there were some journalists. It's like the journalists uh, yeah. who got killed in the Munich plane crash. You know, I, I, this is this has taken a very macabre <laughs> turn. But it's like the, like. You know, there were, there were loads of journalists killed in the Munich plane crash and apart the only one people remember is Frank Swift that did not know <laughs> Frank Swift because he, he used to play he used to be a player can you name any of the other journalists not at all I can not. even name him right I mean probably says more about me yeah <laughs> so that, that, that's that's, um, that's basically what I'm saying if, if I was in a plane crash nobody would care and on that note uh, we'll wrap up the first half um, that's all for part one join us after the break for part Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Too, where we all discuss the All Blacks and the aura that surrounds them, and also Jonathan's first impressions of coming to Japan. Welcome back to the Indie Rugby Podcast, Japan. That was quick. That was quick. <laughs> Basically, you finished part one, and you just went straight away into part two. Oh my god, there's a seamlessness of it. Uh, have you sure people have had enough of a break? Definitely, it's the magic of the pod. You, okay. you just don't. But I should also mention that, uh, yeah, we are here because of uh, our partners, Tuna Watch. Uh, I just have to make sure I get that in. So, yeah. No, no, they're very, they're very, very good watches. Exactly. Um, that, the intro there is nothing to do with that, though. It's just to greet our listeners back. So, just want, we want to make that clear. Hi. <laughs> so. Let, let's look at the other side of the fence. We've done England. Uh, let's talk about New Zealand and the All Blacks. And I, I think I'm already quite excited by this week because this doesn't happen. You know, England haven't played the All Blacks at a World Cup since '99, um, and not in a knockout game since '95. So this has never happened in my rugby career or my when I've been following rugby. Uh, and it's the same for the players. They've only a lot of this squad have only played New Zealand once, and that was last year. The, their last tour was 2014. So. Stuart Lancaster era. Um, with with the preparations for this, a lot of questions centre around the aura that comes with the All Blacks, the fact that they are called the All Blacks and not New Zealand. Everyone knows who the All Blacks are. What does what does the All Blacks mean to you? They're very good. I mean, it's a brand these days, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's an incredibly corporate brand, albeit one with a kernel of. of a genuine sentiment because everyone growing up can remember the first all black team that, that they that, that kind of captured them 
I mean, for me, probably you, it was, it was the it was the Joan Lomond team yeah. in '95. Um, that sort of, I suppose you would call it an aura. There's a kind of mythology to the All Blacks that you don't get with many sport, many other sporting teams, and a big part of of playing them. And and you know, you're, you're right to point out the, the rarity of it is kind of getting over that mental barrier that you are, you are just playing 15 New Zealanders rather than the All Blacks, capital T, capital A, capital B. Uh, and I think that's, one, that's going to be one of England's biggest challenges, recognising that, yes, this is a World Cup semi-final and it's not any other game, but you are just playing a game of rugby. And, and you know, when, when you stand in front of a hacker and you see all the, you know, I guess a lot of the neutrals will be, will be All Blacks fans. Certainly, uh, most of the locals will, will be supporting. Yeah, there's huge that. support here for New Zealand. Uh, that's going to be. It's going to be hard to, to, to turn that off and and play a game of rugby. And I, and I I think that's going to be one of the one of the main determinants of this game is is how well England can play the game rather than the occasion. And you've done two two different press conferences this week. You went to the All Blacks. You're now here with England. You've spoken to players, and interestingly, you've spoken to the back row players. You had Sam Kane with the All Blacks, and now you've just had uh, Tom Curry and Sam Underhill. How do you see the way they differ? Because I've always felt the New Zealand players just every week is the same. They're, it's almost robotic in their approach of smile, the camera's on, smile, talk, talk through a smile, and say the same things, and it's never really any different. Whereas Curry and Underhill are like two players I haven't met before within rugby. I mean, they are absolutely batshit mental to, to put them into like a little category because they're just so weird and they know they're weird and they're very happy about it and they're totally buzzing as well yeah like this is these are it must be kind of like an out of body experience for them I mean I, I vaguely remember being 21 it was a long time ago but I remember being 21 how old are you? Uh, I'm 33 I let you off on that one. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, coming to. I, I, I think, I think it's, about, it's, it's almost time to announce my my retirement from from all forms of international sport. But I'm not quite there yet. Um, yeah, I mean, going on a going on a trip like this at the age of 21, it must be like diving into like an ice cold pool. It's just, first of all, there's a country, like a, you know, an incredibly. Uh, fresh and, and an alien experience. Then you, you know, you've got the aura of the World Cup and, and everything that surrounds that. Uh, and then you've had, you know, the bubble that they've been in for what two or three months now. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm not surprised that they're, they're kind of buzzing about the experience. Whereas, yeah, the All Blacks, uh, you know, it was uh, Sam Kane and Brody Ritalik uh, who were at the press conference yesterday. There is kind of a, a slightly more business-like veneer to them which I suppose is is buttressed by the fact that basically every week they, they, they sit in front of the camera and, and are asked various variations on like are you going to win again how are you going to win again isn't it pleasing that you won again uh, and I think that creates a certain a certain road which I suppose contributes to the, the, the differing demeanours that you talked about and we also see that with Steve Hansen you know when was the last time he's actually had to face tough questions? Because they haven't lost a World Cup game since 2007. I mean, that's insane. I, I, can you think of any other sport where that's actually happened? I'm trying to think back-to-back -back World Cup winners. Yeah, I mean, the, the Australian cricket team didn't lose the World Cup game between, I think, New Zealand 
in the 99 group stages and 2011. So that would have been 12 years as well. So similar time frame. And can you remember what their kind of mentality was to, towards dealing with press conferences and questions? Is it similar? Yeah, I mean, no, well, very abrasive because they they strutted around like this is, I mean I'm thinking particularly the Steve Waugh Australians rather than the you know the Mark Taylor Australians that, that preceded them they kind of strutted around like they owned the place they strutted around like they were the masters of their domain and all they surveyed which in a way they, they, they sort of were and I suppose you know human nature and certainly journalistic nature is, is to, to look for little cracks in the artifice what are where are the tensions where are the potential pitfalls and to a winning team, this kind of stuff just looks like petty negativity. And you, you occasionally see that with the All Blacks. When somebody says, like, oh, well, what about this? Is this a, you know, could this be a potential problem? And they sort of, they turn their nose up at you and, and, and snort like, like, you know, you've just farted at them. Uh, <laughs> like, why, why, are you, why are you bringing this, this your, your petty negativity into my, you know, kingdom of hubris? What, like how dare you there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of how dare you yeah. could be all black we and had that with Brodie Ritalik didn't we that he was asked about that comment he made in 2014 that he couldn't name a single England player and then when he tried to he said Michael Laws instead of Courtney Laws yeah um, and then when he, when he was reminded of that he asked are you trying to be humorous and you go well either in 2014 you were trying to be humorous yourself or it was general ignorance that they didn't know I mean yeah, yeah. there was a the, that the that journalist can't then use it. Yeah, back home. The, yeah. The, the, the like yeah, the, the English reporter who um, who shall forever remain Dan Schofield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's had a poor, poor, he's, he's a good mate, Dan. Actually, uh, he's had a pretty bad tournament. He's I think he's I think he's managed to to pee off like three. Uh, he peed off um, Vermeulen yeah. from South Africa and somebody else as well. Well, it, we have a little running joke that. Eddie Jones likes to kill two people in particular that's myself and Scoey right and we get hammered and on the same day that he got hammered by Ritalik I got hammered by Eddie Jones so it was a nice little right. double up yeah. there for us I'm like, I, Dan, Dan's like the nicest he's the nicest man in the pack I can't speak for you but, <laughs> but yeah I don't, I, I, I don't know what it is um, but yeah there, there's, there was a sort of a bristling a little narrowing of the eyes I mean Ritalik has, has seen it all probably quite an intimidating figure as well isn't it Brody Vitalik looks like an ex-player already you can you can kind of already see him on like the after dinner circuit with a with a with a, a bow tie on you know it's he's, he's probably got a bit of a paunch by you know by, by this stage and and you know he's telling he's telling you know bawdy story he's got that, that really intimidating he looks like a 45 year old man he's mid-20s yeah how he looks like a middle-aged man in like a, in like the body of a well, it's, it's the body of an old person as well. Is it like, how is, he's, um, yeah, he, he already looks like he's retired and, and, is, and is sort of propping up a bar somewhere, like telling stories about about you know how how kids have it so easy these days. <laughs> We've drifted away. Let's come back a bit to the rugby. I think I was thinking about this the other night. Two thousand and three, England's World Cup winners, the first English World Cup winners. If England were to beat New Zealand and then go on and win the World Cup, would that mean more because they've beaten New Zealand? Because they are almost, you know, they're the cherry in rugby union. That's, that's what you want to get. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if, if you're going to win the World Cup, you want to... I, I mean, they'll take it however, however it comes. But for, in terms of personal pride, beating Australia 
and then New Zealand, and then I guess South Africa maybe, is the, it's the hardest possible, it's the hardest possible route to victory. And I think it will be all the more rewarding for that. If they do beat New Zealand, I think what, what might be an issue for them is then getting themselves up again because it will fit, these are the two best teams left in the tournament. Beat New Zealand and everybody will be anointing them as likely World Cup winners. Yeah. And getting over what would be an incredible high and, and resetting and starting again and going, going again and, and, and peaking again for the World Cup final I think would be probably the main issue. I mean, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves here. They're going yeah, to get Tom 40-20, aren't they? <laughs> well, last time they played it was 16-15 and England had a try disallowed that would have won it for an offside call on Courtney Laws, Sam Underhill. He was asked about that today and said nothing to do with it. You know, it's just one of those moments you get over it. But maybe for the players that was the case, but for the 82,000 in Twickenham and the others watching at home, that will have convinced them that England can beat New Zealand. And I don't think, certainly in the last four World Cup cycles, there has never been that mentality. 2003 there was because they went and did it. Mm. But this team has not beaten New Zealand, yet they think they can. Mm. And I think that's uncharted territory. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're the expert. I mean, what, what sort of percentage chance would you give them? I, I find it hard because you want to say you want to say 50-50, but you just know you can't say that because it's the All Blacks. And maybe that's a little bit of the aura that I've slipped into of, of believing it. But this is the best team in the world. They deal with pressure better than the others. So when Eddie Jones comes out and says, oh, they're all under pressure, mate, we've got no pressure. I mean, he's only talking about himself because he's reached the semi-finals. His job is safe. You know, he's under no pressure anymore. He's going to keep his job. But for the players, this is their World Cups. Their World Cup is on the line as well. You know, New Zealand's World Cup is on the line. They're going for three in a row. Well, that's great. If you don't hit three in a row, well, it's never been done before. So, you know, you're allowed to slip up. You're still legends. Exactly. You're allowed to slip up, lads. England, you know, this is... I don't want to say golden generation, but they've got some really bloody good players in there. And a lot of them will be around in 2023, so you, you know that'll be the fallout of if they go out. But they've got a really, really good chance of winning this. They've been a dominant team in the Northern Hemisphere for the last four years, 2018 excluded. So you look at them and Wales, and I still think England are in a better position than Wales. And Wales are Six Nations Grand Slam champions. But it's just something about this England team that gives you optimism that they can beat the All Blacks. That doesn't mean they will. But I think they have the players, they've got a fully fit squad. You know, no team has that. New Zealand don't have that. They've got players that have gone home, players that are injured this weekend. So the, the ingredients have never been better for England to beat New Zealand, yet you still need the bounce of the ball to go your way. And that's where we've seen they came, they came unstuck in November. The bounce of the ball just didn't go their way. On another day, that's why they kept losing lineouts. Yeah, and. I, I've already written this this tournament that England, in my opinion, now have the best line-out. Jamie George, I think, lost his first line-out this year in the game against Australia. That's, that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. But they haven't played New Zealand this year. And New Zealand is pretty damn good. So I think we're going to see how far England have matured from that win, basically in that set-piece area. Because England are pretty strong everywhere else. Their defence is unbelievably good. Their attack, probably not as good as New Zealand. New Zealand have the best attack by far. But if it, England are able to contain that attack, make sure they keep the ball on, the, on their own set piece, it's, it's kind of hard to see where they would lose it. They would almost have to shoot themselves in the foot 
if they're able to do that to New Zealand. Probably oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, <laughs> I, 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 no, obviously, I, I defer to your, to your greater judgment and experience in these matters. But also, I think, based on my experience of other sports, when you, when you have like a, a pretty long lead-up period into a game, as your, our, our journalistic instinct is to try and talk it into a 50-50. Yeah. yeah. And, or, you know, you, so you, you kind of toss over, because you spend so long talking and thinking about it, we, 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 we'll be writing about this game all week, we'll be writing about it tomorrow, we'll be writing about it on Friday. You kind of, you toss over so many possibilities that in, in the end it just becomes a swirling, oh, well, it's a toss-up. And I think that this is what happened last week. In England, Australia, oh, well, you know, the Aussies are dangerous, oh, but England, you know, and by the end of it, it's like, well, this is going to be too close to call. Actually, it wasn't. England are far superior and, and proved it. They were, but then also that game, there was only one point difference at one stage, and Australia threw two well, there was a, there was a naught, tries. There was a naught point difference at the start. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what that tells you. Well, come on. <laughs> New Zealand are better. New Zealand are much better. New Zealand are, but I, I also think... so. I can't give it 50-50. I know I can't give it 50-50 because it's the All Blacks are the best team. Form says they're the best team. Record over the last four years says they're the best team. Players probably better. But I can't go as low as something like 65-35. I, I, I think England's chance better. 60-40 maybe, but then I'm thinking, how do you give New Zealand a 60% chance to win a game? Yeah. Their winning record at the moment is like 84%. So, I don't know. I, I think 60-40... Sounds bizarre, but I think it's what I believe, and I'll probably then do a podcast next week and tell you how wrong I was. And New Zealand march on three peat up for grabs, off they go. But I don't know. Having covered England for the last four years, everything has been geared towards beating the All Blacks. So it's kind of the do or die, you know, to use Eddie Jones's term that he used last week. It's a do or die moment for them. If they get Brexit done. Exactly. That's pre- that's pretty much. Will, will Eddie Jones die in a do. ditch if he doesn't um, beat the All Blacks? Well, no. It's hard to say, really, isn't it? No, he'll, he'll probably get <laughs> probably get a lucrative new contract. Well, he's already, he doesn't need it. He's already got it. It's two more years. Two more years of Eddie with possibly two more years after. Two more years of dither and delay. Well, as as the, the uh, transition period. As the EU extends the the, uh, the deadline for the UK anyway, I think it's. When it's is the deadline out. to extend Eddie Jones's contract? And, and what, what has he got to say about workers' rights? Well, probably feel, very little. I feel like this is the perfect time to switch to the final subject we'll discuss. Um, you said um, this would be 20 minutes. I know, we, we've, we've dragged on and we've on and on. We've way too much fun here. Um, Japan. So, I've, I've been here for what feels like 10 years. Um, and I, thankfully... They, they actually, they, they, you know, they, they've actually described it as a, as a new dynasty in Japan's history. Like, they call it the, the, the Jack de Menezes dynasty. Well, there, there was a parade, thankfully, in Tokyo yesterday for new emperor, and no, I, in, I was much heralded. Enthronement uh, ceremony? Yeah, I like to get out in the street, say hello to the people, and uh, yeah, do, do my bit for Japan. But thankfully, it's not like where we are today. We're in Disneyland. Uh, Japan's nothing like this. You touched down last week, uh, immediately went for ramen, um, and we're blown away by it. Uh, what, what's been your experience in Japan? I've, I've really enjoyed some parts of it, and then I've really found some parts of it so different to what my expectation of what it would be like. Uh, have you found it? Um, yeah, there was a... I can't remember who it was. Some, some Japanese designer, I think it was, who said, look, people say that Japan is a, is a fusion of, of old and new. It's not, it's a collision 
and I, I, that that's definitely the way I see it. There's the tradition and the kind of the modernity really kind of brush up against each other in, in, in quite dissonant ways. It's it's uh, I can't explain it. It's really weird. You know, you you, you know you walk through um, Shibuya Crossing or, or whatever, and you see like two thousand people and about you know four thousand electronic billboards, and then you know you, you round the corner and there's some there's some old shrine that's been there for you know since the Meiji era. Um, the, the people are, you know, they're, they're, they're lovely, aren't they? Oh. Yeah, they, they. I mean, the, not, no, no inconvenience is is, is is too great for them. Uh, I've, I've, yeah, I mean, I've, I've only been here for, for five days. So I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not gonna Alan Wicker myself about <laughs> about this, you know. But I've been incredibly impressed so far, and titillated as well. I mean, the, the, the food is on an, on another level. The, I think the worst meal I've had was like an eight, an eight out of ten ramen yeah. that I had with uh, you know uh, a couple of the other guys yesterday, and that was very good. And it's probably the worst meal I've had. Um, yeah, I mean, I tried an onsen. That was pretty. It claimed your watch though, didn't it? Uh, it's, that, yeah, that's been my, an issue. my watch uh, has kind of massively steamed. I, I made a mistake of taking my watch, which. Um, not certainly not as nice as, as as Jack's watch, and certainly not as nice as as, as the watches that um, that are supporting this podcast. <laughs> but um, I took my watch. I, I made the mistake of getting into an onsen with my watch on, and somehow like the steam got into it, and now the, the face has has cleared up. So I can I can see what the time is, as long as it's like the afternoon. Once it gets into the eights and the nines and the ten, I'm, it's 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 just a, a, a fog of of incomprehension. Uh, I, I basically have to guess what the time is. You know, bizarrely, that's the second watch onsen story I've heard this time. Go on. First one, um, a an anonymous Daily Mail chief sports writer uh, went into a, a onsen and took his watch off, placed it on the bench uh, next to him. That's what you're supposed to do. Exactly. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, and then. Enjoyed his onsen for an hour, hour and a half, however long. Hour and a half? <laughs> just, just, just what I've heard. And then, obviously, emerged from the onsen to discover the watch was not there. Um, took it well. Uh, raging in reception as I've come out for breakfast. And uh, just, just asking what, what's happened. Watch is gone, the watch is gone. Um, it, it wasn't until uh, I, I got to dinner that day, so we're talking a good ten hours later, that uh, the watch was found hanging up in the changing room on the peg. Uh, receptionist had gone and uh, fetched it for him, and uh, the, the two were reunited the following oh, oh, morning. A, a, a happy story, like a, a, a Disney fairy tale. Which which brings me to a little. Oh no! Can I can I can I, can I you, you know, can you can I just, I just wanted to say like you, um, the the other day I, I jumped into an onsen. Oh, you don't do that. Yeah, you I don't up, do that. I ended up in a lot of hot water. Ah. And I, I think that's actually a good time to wrap up the pod. <laughs> We've clearly been going for too long. Um, but just, just to round up, we're, we're at both the games this weekend. Um, I've done well, yeah. I, I only applied for the, for, the, for the first semi-final. Really? Oh, you, don't, you don't want to watch the second one? What, who is the second one? Uh, it's, um, Isn't that? Where, it's, is, where is that? There's another rugby-playing country. No, no, it's South Africa, Wales. It's in Tokyo. Uh, not Tokyo, sorry. Yokohama. Both games in Yokohama. All oh, right. Well, I'll, I'll have to apply for that one as well. <laughs> Definitely. We'll have to get that sorted. Right. Um, but just a quick prediction. Uh, you, you've seen a little slice of the camps this week. Uh, you, you know about 
reputations on the line and the, you know what it takes to win a World Cup semi-final. This is is this your second World Cup of the year? Yeah. You didn't do the Women's World Cup, did you? No. Just the um, cricket? Yeah, just the cricket. So how do you see predictions for that one and then also Wales, South Africa? But we, neither of us have been in camp there. It's a little bit harder to, to make an assessment. No, when you go into a casino, you never bet against the house. The All Blacks of the house. They've got the little croupier suits. They've got the, the heavies on the front door. I, I make it a habit of not betting against the All Blacks. The house never loses. The house never loses. And well, the, the house you know, loses about 8% of the time or whatever it is, whatever it is that their incredible record is. So uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be really safe and boring and say the All Blacks by about 15 points. Okay, and then Wales, South Africa, have you got any feeling towards that one? Wales. Wales. Okay. I think Wales. Or South Africa. <laughs> well, needless to say that after this weekend, we then have Eva, a brilliant final to look forward to from a kind of domestic point of view, England or Wales get through. Or we could end up with the most horrible situation of an England-Wales third-place playoff, <laughs> which I am dreading. <laughs> so let's hope that isn't the case. Uh, if one of them get through, I think it's going to be brilliant for the game that you don't have a northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. It just kind of feels like it mixes it up a little bit. Yeah. So we need something different like that. But that's all for this episode. Uh, we'll have another episode before the weekend, just kind of analysing the teams and previews and probably a bit more rugby related uh, I'll be joined by Duncan Beck from the Press Association for that one but that's all for today Johnny thanks for joining me and I'll you told me to well you know I, I, I get to uh, call the shots around here yeah, yeah. Um, and I've also delayed your lunch so I'm sorry about that that's alright um, but remember you can uh, subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts Spotify Acast or wherever you listen for all the latest from the competition and we'll see you next time goodbye Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.